Welcome back to Ether Hour, everybody. I'm your host, Conrad Franz, joined as always by Dimitri Kalyagin, and we are here with our first episode of the new year, and we're going to be looking back on some of the craziness that was 2023. You know, it was our first full year of doing the show, so every week we brought you something in 2023, so we've got a lot to say, and there really was some crazy stuff looking back from, you know, obviously we're going to talk about October 7th, and of course there was the whole Prigozhin episode, you know, the rise of bricks, some of these other things, but... Yeah, I mean, we're going to look back on 2023 and then make some predictions for 2024 here before we dive back into World War Now later this week. So, Dimitri, how are you doing? How was your New Year's? It was good, yeah. It was a good celebration as we're moving into, of course, uh, old calendar Orthodox Christmas. I mean, it's just a great time between, say, I don't know, I want to say Thanksgiving and Orthodox Christmas is just a very joyous time. Lots of interaction with family, friends, and just an amazing time to spend with everybody. And, and of course, following the news is always exciting because, you know, end of the year, things get revealed. A lot of people have reflections, and here we are. I think we're going to give some of our reflections for 2023 here. And, I mean, it was such an intense year, I want to say. Everybody thought 2022 was the intense year. If anything, I feel like 2021 was the, the year where things stood still. 22 was an escalation, and 2023 just built on that onto that escalation. And so well, I think there's just so many stories and uh, naturally uh, the end, beginning from October uh, October 7, things escalated completely out of proportion to what anybody I think had predicted in the Middle East. And yeah, I think let's just get into it. The beginning, right? I think my, my first grand memory of the year naturally was the continuation of the Battle of Bakhmut, which everybody wrote about, lots of news articles, but the Siege of Bakhmut, the, you know, they call it the most the largest siege of the 21st century in terms of size, scale, shells used. You know, Prigozhin said that we used that Bakhmut almost 10,000 shells per day. Uh, you know, there was many, many victims. Again, we're looking at Ukrainian losses of men. Men and women, service people uh, and mercenaries, naturally looking at somewhere between thirty and 50,000 people dead, perhaps. And again, these numbers may be exaggerated, but from what we saw, the Battle of Bakhmut lasted about five to six months, starting in late 2022. 2022 and continuing on until i think may 2023 so that's the beginning of the year started with the battle of bakhmut and the entire first half of 23 we were just essentially recapping as what exactly took place in bakhmut and it was this intense stalemate which nobody really could break it was like a massive battle of stalingrad which uh, ended i suppose for the not the aggressor but i would say the liberator in this case because bakhmut is one of the donetsk towns and mining cities which the people of donetsk you know, had authority over for a very long time, and suddenly Ukrainians came in, Ukrainian new Nazis, they turned it into this massive fortress. And now it's essentially, after all that shelling, it has turned into, again, essentially a post-apocalyptic wasteland now at the end of, you know, in early 2024, you can say. But yeah, very, impre like, uh, just a very powerful memory. Remember, we had all that footage. It was just very combat-heavy start to the year. Again, the Russia situation really... It's kind of still been the central focus of what we've been covering, and like I wanted to say, in many ways, World War III started in 2021. You know, we started covering it the, that same year. 2022 is when people started, you know, more people started noticing it was happening. Then 2023, the whole world was forced to realize that we're dealing with World War III, especially on October 7th, which we're going to get into. But when it comes to Bakhmut, of course, now here we are, 2024, Bakhmut is... Russian city, I guess Artemovsk, if you know you want to call it that, but we still call it it. We still call it Bakhmut here on on World War Now. For you know, we're we're imperial posters here. But as far as some of the other big things in Russia, I mean, I think we just have to get into the biggest thing that happened coming out of that battle, of course. And really, I would say from the perspective of our show, if it wasn't for October seventh, it wouldn't be 
debatable, right? It would have been the Prigozhin episode would have been the kind of the highlight of the year as far as just insanity goes. I mean, the coup in and of itself would have been crazy enough, but the fact that his plane was then blown out of the sky in some capacity with Utkin, and he's now, I mean, look, it's been a pretty long time at this point. He's probably dead. You know, there was a funeral and everything. So it, the fact that all of that happened in the course of a few months is just, even a few weeks, really, if you think about the, the, the coup and that, but just the whole Purgosian saga of his rise to being one of the most famous people in the world for leading his mercenary coalition, you know, the prisoners and the whole saga of Wagner and how they supposedly were, you know, the only ones holding the line and pushing forward for, you know, probably over six months of the operation, if someone might have you believe. And now, of course, they've been fully integrated into the Russian military. But we, I think we did a whole paywall show about our take on it at the time. Has your take on what happened changed at all, Dimitri, on the Prigozhin saga, whether it's the coup, whether it's who took him out in the plane, whether it's, you know, what Wagner was to begin with, you know, with the legacy? What is, uh, what is your perspective? Because just looking back on that, it was, it was truly crazy that, you know, I think especially imagining it as someone who wasn't covering it, it probably seemed even weirder, even more cinematic with the fact that we were covering it every week. It's like, oh, man, it almost didn't seem real. Yeah, I think the most unreal factor of it was the fact that it was similar to a movie. So you'd have, as we mentioned, the Battle of Bakhmut. And who was the who were the main participants in Bakhmut? It was the Wagner mercenary group. And so they were being hyped all over Russian news, I mean, you know, American news, or you know, and essentially all media sources were saying Wagner is sieging Bakhmut, not the Russian military, but Wagner is doing it. And of course, once they succeeded, Wagner were, you know, raised up on the shields as victors. And naturally, this kind of played into maybe Prigozhin's ego growing out of proportion and perhaps perhaps him receiving a certain signal. This is my version that he probably was told on the inside that he could actually possibly take out Gerasimov and Shoigu on the inside, bring some sort of people's justice to the Ministry of Defense. And whether or not it was a full-on conspiracy in order to you know remove Putin or anything of that sort, I'm not too sure. But definitely the fact that he stopped does show that there were people on the inside who probably told him that he went too far. You know, Lukashenko's involvement here is very interesting too. And and naturally, you know, Lukashenko, a, 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 you know, a leader of a foreign country coming to Russia and actually playing playing as a middle person, uh, as a certain diplomat, uh, instead of, say, Putin or Shoigu meeting with Prigozhin in person, was, I think, somewhat embarrassing for the Russian establishment. Not saying it was embarrassment to, to Putin, generally, personally, but what we saw, the outcomes, the ramifications of that was, of course, Turkey's great betrayal, the ending of the grain deal, Erdogan acting extremely disrespectfully towards Putin. And I think that kind of has continued towards the, to where Turkey today is supporting Israel of all countries completely un, unrepentantly and basically does not, does not care at all what Russia's opinion is on foreign policy. I think that partially, that's partially, I don't want to say oriental mindset, but that's perhaps that Middle Eastern mindset of, well, you have to kind of display your power have to display your authority and authority by the Kremlin was not displayed in this Prigozhin event. And naturally, the 24th of August, Prigozhin's sudden death alongside you know, Colonel Dmitry Utkin and the other personnel of Wagner, that wasn't, if anything, that was a scummy assassination, which let's just, uh, let's face it, the Jamatria, the Kabbalistic numerology here, Conrad, 24th of February, 22, right? We see that same number, 24, 24th of June, 2023. That's when the actual rebellion happens and when the Wagner forces drive in Moscow through Varones, through Rostov-on-Don. And the 24th of August is when Prigozhin is suddenly killed in a surprise, um, in a surprise, 
you know, murder or a terrorist act, right? And of course, later Putin comes out on a during an interview and it just says, well, allegedly they they were high on cocaine potentially when they, we couldn't get a toxicology report. Maybe they were throwing grenades around. Like it's just a very bizarre story. Nothing really makes sense. But my main takeaway from the um, Progression Revolt, besides the fact that Russia really needed internal defenses to be up to scratch, right? was um, the fact that what we saw, Conrad, when the actual revolt happened on the 24th and the 23rd, as soon as Prigozhin started driving in Moscow and there were these signs of, well, perhaps an, an arising civil war, the entire Russian church naturally began even praying against him for God to prevent a civil war, which, you know, the patriarch, the bishops took this very seriously in Russia. But the most important thing is Russian, the Russian elites, we're talking about the oligarchs, the businessmen, even certain politicians, oppositionary politicians, perhaps even members of United Russia, Putin's own party, Medvedev's party, Shoigu's party. People started getting on planes and flying away out of Moscow, out of St. Petersburg, towards countries like Estonia, literally NATO countries. And we saw this because the plane, the plane tickets from Moscow and Petersburg shot up 10 times, 15 times. Well, they were all brought out. All of the oligarchs, the rich people, started leaving Moscow and Petersburg when the enemy was approaching, the enemy being Prigozhin and Wagner, right? So there are there is an existing fifth column, and I think this completely justifies Dugan's entire position for the last 10 years, that Russia has an existing fifth column. It has these bizarre elites. Perhaps they are ethnically Russian. Maybe they are, you know, maybe they hold dual citizenships. Some of them, of course, hold Israeli citizenships, and they are not going to stay in Russia to defend their homeland if things get tough. And I think that's what the Brigosian Revolt has shown. It's just the rats will start jumping off the ship into the water. You know, as soon as the ship will start sinking, the rats will start swimming. And this was disgusting. And we saw that live on, on that weekend, on the 24th. And so, you know, it happened during the Shabbat, but that didn't stop some of these people, right? So, it, and then Shogu, uh, you know, naturally did not appear. It was very, very bizarre. And I think this mystery will probably only get solved after, perhaps even after Putin's... Uh, you know, either he's, he passes away or he resigns because I think the contemporary elite, not Putin himself, but those around him are trying to really hush up exactly what took place in the middle of 2023. And I'm not sure if we'll ever get the official position. Perhaps decades later, the archives will be searched and they'll find out exactly who made certain orders. Why did all those pilots need to die? Who ordered the helicopters to fly at the Wagner column? So many questions, right? And for me, it just it continues to remain an internal oligarchic coup attempt. Yes, Prigozhin wasn't a perfect guy. Certain things he said were, were correct. You know, Malafeev, Konstantin Malafeev, Alexander Dugin even agreed with him on the Tsargrad platform. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Prigozhin does have a few correct points, but should he begin a revolt? Should he start killing helicopter pilots? These, these are all uh, really ethically ambiguous questions, I think, in this particular case. And and Putin's very powerful statement comparing this to World War One again, important because world war one was probably the most slandered war in russian history and suddenly putin comes out and says world war the russians were betrayed by both the liberals and the bolsheviks in world war one I. I think it's you know some pretty powerful ramifications rhetorically as well as philosophically from the entire year especially this Prigozhin revolt and him suddenly dying this is this story came to a, a, an abrupt end it began at bakhmut in 23 and it ended on the 24th of august and we still don't have any answers and all we received was a Prigozhin closed Orthodox funeral. And you can visit his gravesite today in Moscow or on the outskirts of Moscow. And uh, that's all we basically have. There's no conclusion. This is just the, the epilogue of the story. And we're left with questions. Yeah, the revolt itself will always be a fairly calm. I don't know if anybody in our lifetimes will ever learn who was funding what and who was motivated by what faction. And 
what Putin really thought about the whole thing, of course, that's what everyone wants to know. But, you know, we can only speculate. As far as Prigozhin and Utkin and the assassination, I'm wondering, do you think it was the Russians? I think, you know, there's a possibility it was French intelligence. I think the Africa stuff and everything going on makes that definitely a possibility. But besides them, do you think it's more likely it was a Russian internal assassination from some wing of the government? Or was it possible the Ukrainians managed to make that happen? I mean, those are the two biggest parties involved. I'm inclined towards the French in some regard. Obviously, certain factions in the Middle East would have a reason to want to as well, but that starts to get a bit more tenuous. So, you know, of course, this all is in the realm of speculation as well, but I'm wondering if you have a different opinion on who may have been behind it than you might have immediately. Well, yeah, I, you know, initially, or at least in the first few weeks of World War now, after the event itself, you know, in August, September, my conclusion was, my personal opinion was that, yes, it was probably either French intelligence, which had to do with Wagner's African meddling in some of these countries which were revolting, right? Uh, which, you know, highly possible friend, France does have a very you know powerful intelligence agency in Russia, and it isn't exactly the most secure place, as the SBU has shown over the last year and a half, that, yes, assassinations are completely possible, unfortunately, and terrorist activity on Russian soil is something which, you know, foreign intelligence ag agencies have, seems to have perfected on Russian land. And so Russia does need to kind of tighten up some of its uh, defenses on that particular front. But yes, the, the airport was completely commercial. And initially I thought, well, it must have been the SBU or the French intelligence or MI6 or perhaps even the CIA, right? Turns out, no, it's uh, based on Putin's comments about throwing around the grenade about, and I want to say Putin probably received a report of some sort. It's And he, he probably knows who, who actually did it or who was involved, but those people will not be prosecuted, at least not in the open. And that makes me think that they, there was some probably very powerful oligarchic... Thank you for listening to the free segment of our latest day for our episode. For the full uncensored episode, visit our World War Now substack to subscribe. You can find the link in the description. In this full episode, we go over some of the major events of the past year. The Siege of Bakhmut, Putin's International Criminal Court Warrant, the success of the BRICS Summit, and the short legacy of Yevgeny Prigozhin himself. Of course, the persecution of the Orthodox Church in Ukraine is covered, and the unfortunate genocide of the Palestinian people. Be sure to listen to the very end of the episode to hear our 2024 predictions, and we'll see at the end of the year if any of them come to pass. Thank you for your support.